Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Bert. Great job, as always. And could you turn your Bibles to the book of Joel? Joel chapter 1, verse 1. Joel chapter 1, verse 1, as you can see on the board where, and as I've been uh, announcing the last several weeks, we're going to be beginning a study this evening on the day of the Lord, that prophetic subject called the day of the Lord. Actually, it's more than just prophetic. It, it's also, we see day, day of the Lord prophecies in the past that have been fulfilled. And we'll be talking about those next week when we discuss the scope of the day of the Lord. So this will just be an introduction and then uh, to get to the subject. And it's going to be, we'll be doing it for quite a while because a lot of this subject uh, involves uh, the study of uh, primarily of the uh, eschatological day of the Lord, the, the prophecies, day of the Lord prophecies that are still yet future, which are actually going to be, they all be the, the future uh, day of the Lord prophecies are all triggered by the rapture, the resurrection of the church. I think we saw that on Sunday morning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So uh, this is going to entail uh, the study of various dispensations in the future, uh, namely the 70th week of Daniel, in particular the last three and a half years, the, the 70th week, which we call the tribulation period, uh, the Armageddon campaign, and then uh, that'll be followed by, accumulated by the second advent of Christ that's related to the day of the Lord prophecies. And uh, in fact, in Habakkuk will be chapter 3, which will be beginning this Sunday, uh, we're going to be uh, uh, looking at that divine warrior psalm. In fact, uh, in the subject of the day of the Lord, the, the concept, biblical concept of the divine warrior, uh, Jesus Christ, is found throughout all through Scripture, by the way. So um, I'm actually reading a cool book on that right now, but uh, we, uh, we'll see that in Habakkuk chapter 3, that great divine warrior psalm. And you see this, again, in, in prophecy about the Lord being a, a warrior. And uh, you know, he, he was actually a warrior for at the cross by uh, delivering us from defeating Satan and his cosmic system at the cross. And uh, so we'll be talking about the millennial reign also in this subject and also the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, I don't know if too many people have been teaching on that, and I've taught on it before years ago, the subject of the day of the Lord. But uh, I've, I've, I've uh, developed it quite a bit because in certain passages I've studied in the in detail, like in First and Second Thessalonians, which deal with the subject of the Day of the Lord, Zephaniah is another book. So I always uh, update my article and my my uh, treatment of this subject, and so I'm looking forward to teaching it again. So it's been about, I say, about uh, 13 years since I've taught this subject. So again, a lot of dispensations involved, and also in, uh, involved in this uh, subject, we'll be looking at uh, the different views of the Rapture in relation to the the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period because there are many people who don't believe in the rapture or they think the timing of the rapture is in the midway point of the tribulation period or what, or at the end or whatever. So uh, we're pre-trib rapture. I'm going to explain why we are pre-trib. There's actually five views, believe it or not. And so I've written on those extensively. So, And if you ever want good re reading material, go to our website at onesome.org and you'll see uh, this doctrine in, under eschatology called the Day of the Lord. And I warn you, it's, it's massive. So save it to your hard drive or the, the cloud, but don't, don't doubt, it's like over 200, 300 pages long, so, um, so that, uh, if you want to re, uh, read, uh, have some reading material related to this subject, uh, by all means, do that, and uh, I think that's about it, um, good turnout for the prayer meeting, and uh, that was awesome, and uh, I think that's about it for, oh, um, I might as well start, we will not have, um, I, I announced this Sunday, and I'll continue, continue to announce it all the way up to the Christmas break, um, we have our, our last uh, br uh, class is uh, before the Christmas break is uh, December 20th on a Wednesday. So we're going to miss the 24th, Sunday the 24th, and Wednesday the 27th. And then we'll resume classes 
uh, Sunday, December 31st. We're going to actually have the Lord's Supper on that day, Christmas Eve. So uh, write that in your calendar. So without further ado, let's take a moment to sign the prayer. Oh, by the way, is, is Sherry here? Sherry, I was all ready for you Sunday. You were already laughing already. I was telling Larry and Ophelia, you know, I was ready for her, you know, because she's a big Auburn fan, a lot of other people. And I had, you know, because I empathize with you people because I was a Red Sox fan when I was a kid. We lose all the time, and we choked in big games. And so I can empathize with your team choking. Here's a box of Kleenex then. You can fit, you need them tonight? You can take them. Go ahead. You can take them. That's usually able to wipe those out. And uh, I, I, I tell you right now, I, I was... I could not believe, like, and one of the things they teach you, in, in, you know, I mean, Pop Warner and stuff in high school, it's like, yeah, and I was talking to Bob Weekly, I said, yeah, how does that guy get behind you? And, the, you know, you, 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 the clock run, I would have taken a pass interference, put it at the goal line or something, but don't ever let, you never, they taught us that, you never let the guy get behind you. And everybody's back there, they only rushed three guys, which is, I think was a problem. And, uh, and you gotta have somebody chasing that guy around. I mean, they're, they're, they're sit, the line's sitting there like, you know, like they're so tired. I said, don't you guys train year-round for Corano Line? I, I got 62. I could have kept, kept going and chased the guy. I might have fallen down a few times getting to him. But, uh, and I don't think I could take him down. I know I could, he could drag me about 30 yards, you know. But uh, that's, that's just unconscionable, how you can let that guy get behind you. And so they outplayed Alabama. Boy, I tell you, if I was Alabama, uh, boy, I think you were talk about lucky. I'll tell you what. But there's no such thing as luck, right? Okay. Nah, that's what I say. Anyways, all right. Now all you Auburn fans are probably out of fellowship, so now is it time. <laughs> now is it time that you're all going to have to go uh, and uh, examine yourselves, and I'm going to have to do that as well for causing you to sin, getting out of fellowship with uh, with uh, talking about Auburn and the loss. <laughs> all right, let's take a moment of silence for you. All know what to do. Let's with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day, another day to study Bible doctrine, which reveals your character and nature and that of your Son and the Spirit. It also reveals your will for our lives to become like your Son, Jesus Christ. And it also, through the Spirit, has uh, told us what you've done for us in eternity past and electing us and predestinating us. It told us uh, what uh, your crucifixion, death, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father of your, uh, of your Son uh, Jesus Christ and what that accomplished for us and his great sacrifice and also the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection and uh, just we just thank you Father for the wonderful future that we have we thank you for our position in Christ and giving us the victory positionally over sin and Satan in his cosmic system and also in a perfective sense when we're in a resurrection body and also we can experience it now in time by appropriating by faith our union identification with your son and considering ourselves dead to the sin nature and the cosmic system of Satan and alive to you. So help us by the part of the Spirit to adopt the view that you have us of us so we can experience that victory. I pray that all of us in this ministry can grow in love toward you and each other and all that involves and being patient and tolerant of each other. And because we know, Father, that the intensity is ratcheted up 
uh, with regards to the angelic conflict and, uh, and uh, with myself and the rest of the leadership in this church and, and the fact that we're worldwide and so we're, we know we're a threat to the kingdom of darkness and uh, it's all because of what you, we're proclaiming your victory and the victory of your son over the devil and his cosmic system and, and also the sin nature. So I pray, Father, today in this subject that we're about to begin, this great subject, prophetic subject in the Word of God, the day of the Lord. And I just pray it would be a great blessing to your people. And uh, it ultimately, of course, would bring glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. I pray it would give us encouragement as we go through the trying times of our nation right now, uh, and especially with the next uh, year coming up with the election and all the uncertainty that revolves around that. And I just uh, pray that uh, this subject would encourage your people and, uh, and also motivate them to grow to maturity, to become like your son, Jesus Christ, and be uh, salt of the earth, and which might be the, the reason why this nation is not uh, judged by yourself at this time. So I just pray, Father, this, again, this study would be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. Help everybody in the audience that are your children to concentrate, help them to learn, understand, and to carefully consider the passages and principles that we'll be noting in this introduction to this subject. And I just pray that you would break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening. And also, Father, I pray that you would empower me. And I just thank you for uh, the great honor and privilege that you've given me to uh, communicate your word to your people who you purchased with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So I take this very seriously and just help me to do the job that you've uh, uh, given me here this evening so that your people could receive the necessary spiritual nourishment. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. All right, so we're going to begin a study of the day of the Lord. I do not know how many hours this is going to be. I would think it's probably going to take us into, uh, uh, probably take us maybe about a year maybe uh, to do that. And uh, some of these series that I have, like the church, are going to, are going to spend, uh, spend, spend, uh, take months to do. But um, so we've laid a pretty good groundwork uh, so far in uh, really in the first year and a half of, of these Wednesday night classes. I mean, you think about it, we did a study of bibliology, we did the history of the English Bible, inerrancy, inspiration, uh, canonicity, we uh, did a study on justification, sanctification. So there are many other subjects I'm going to teach on. And so these are some of the things that we've studied thus far. They're fundamental foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. And so I decided to do a thing related primarily to prophecy with these day, the subject of the day of the Lord, as, I, as we'll see next week. And, and, uh, but primarily, this is a subject that deals with eschatology, the study of future things, the study of prophecy. And, but uh, we've seen a many day of the Lord prophecies that have been fulfilled in the past, literally fulfilled. So that tells you the prophecies of the future related to the day of the Lord are also going to be uh, fulfilled literally by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I broke out an outline of this particular subject. If you can see on the board, um, it's not in my notes. Uh, but uh, if you ever, again, if you want to study this subject, read it uh, as we go through it. Uh, it's, there's a, it's on our, uh, our webstreams.org site under eschatology. In our, in our, see, our, if our written library is set up in, in, in systematic theology, there's an exposition stage where the different books we've studied over the years, I've studied over the years, but the 
the different doctrines of the Christian faith, like subjects under pneumatology, the study of the spirit, Christology, the study of Christ, eschatology, the study of future things, paterology, the study of the Father. I break them out in systematic theology, these subjects. So you're going to find this subject of the day of the Lord, which I've actually revised. Uh, I'm always right, revising my articles as I go through these different books and subjects. And it's uh, under eschatology, under the day of the Lord. I think it's 2021 edition, I think it is. So an introduction to the subject, you, uh, you can see, is that we have the introduction tonight. And then we're gonna, next week, we're going to be studying the scope of the day of the Lord. In other words, uh, where do these day of the Lord prophecies, where do they extend to in the Old Testament up to the New Testament? And, uh, and through it. And then we have, uh, starting off with our study of the eschatological day of the Lord, the study of the, the day of the Lord prophecies uh, that uh, pertain to the future, of course, the 70th week of Daniel. And we're going to spend a lot of time, uh, a couple of, probably a couple of classes, understanding the 70 weeks prophecy, which we have the 70th week prophecy in there. So I want to go through that So in, in the interpretation of it because there's a lot of people out there uh, that uh, look at it differently. In fact, it's funny, in, in that with the, the Academia.edu website I have, I have these people that can, they can email me, and they can, and they can email me through the other website too. But I, I get different scholars or different people, lay people, but they'll, they'll go, more than any other subject, it's funny, I get more grief over the 70 weeks prophecy. Which is kind of interesting because we have probably some of the most, uh, the greatest hits are over this su particular subject of the 70th week of Daniel. And uh, so there's a lot of people who are preterists. We'll talk, we'll address that issue, how, and the, the way they interpret it. But the 70th week prophecy, we're going to be, uh, that's the beginning of the day of the Lord, uh, eschatology wise. And of course, that's triggered by the rapture, the resurrection of the church. So in the, uh, in, in Roman numeral number four, We'll be looking at the rapture in relation to the 70th week because it's related to us, you know, and it also it's related to the fact that the rapture, again, triggers this day of the Lord. And I really don't believe, and we'll go through this when we go through Second Thessalonians, but I really don't believe there's going to be much interval of time. I don't think the text in Second Thessalonians or anywhere else related to the rapture and the, and the, and the, tri the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel. I don't think there's any great interval of time between the rapture and the appearance of the Antichrist. They might be right on top of the other, which means if we're the rapture generation, he could very well be walking around on this earth at this time. So uh, we see that we'll be looking at the rapture in relation to the 70th week of Daniel, and therefore we'll be going through the different views of the rapture, the pre-trib view, which is what we have. Uh, you have the mid-trib, post-trib. Uh, we have the uh, partial rapture theory, and also there's what we call the pre-wrath rapture, which is uh, quite interesting. I had a, a guy who went after me on that when I came, first taught this uh, subject of the pre-wrath uh, rapture and, and, and how why it's wrong and this guy must he had I found out he had a, a book that's just out and I don't know any major um, um, what do you call it uh, journal the biblical journal uh, uh, seminary journal who, who addressed uh, had this guy and he, and he never posted it on any of these journals like Bibliotheca Sacred and uh, and so he wanted, he was like, oh, you know, he says I was misrepresenting his view. No, I was quoting the sources, the people who came up with his view. And so we were going back and forth. So I talked to him on the phone one time. And, uh, and so uh, his, the thing I found out is he's got, he has a book out. And so I think he wanted me to recognize his book. I said, well, I haven't read the book, so I'll have to pick it up. But I don't know any major uh, uh, scholar or uh, Bible teacher expositor that actually is uh, addressing this subject, except for one guy named Fish out, uh, his last name's Fish. 
a great, uh, excellent scholar out at um, Emmaus uh, Bible College in, out in Dubuque, uh, Dubuque uh, Iowa. So uh, then we have also related this subject is the second advent of Christ, which ends the 70th week of Daniel and simultaneously the, the times of the Gentiles. And, uh, and so then we also have, in relation to the, all these things, uh, in between, with the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ, we're going to be talking about the seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments of Revelation 6 to 18. So we're going to go through all those, okay? Um, and we won't take a night for each one of them, but we'll go through those. And then also we're going to be studying related to the 70th week, uh, 70th week of Daniel uh, is uh, the Russian-led invasion of Israel. That's prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is one of the most astounding prophecies in Scripture that's yet future. And it's, it's just absolutely stunning prophecy. So there's actually going to be a coalition of nations, which is they're all going to be destroyed without Israel really firing a shot. It's going to be God doing it. He's going to destroy Russia and her, uh, her, saddle, her allies in this invasion. And uh, what's interesting in that, in that passage in Ezekiel, the reason why they're coming is, and God's baiting them into coming to invade Israel so he can destroy her, is that Israel's sitting on a lot of wealth. And they, they, they discovered a lot of oil there. A lot of people don't even know about that. A lot of oil. And they, they haven't even mined the, gold, uh, the Dead Sea area as well, which is a, a gold mine there. And also, they're just the way they're, you know, they're, uh, they're fabulous, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, we're talking about the way they, with agriculture and uh, the way they're uh, able to, uh, the irrigation and everything is phenomenal what they've done in, uh, over the years. But then, so we're going to be talking, so all those subjects we're going to be talking about in this subject of the day of the Lord. And then also we're going to go through uh, the, day, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, which immediately follows uh, the, the second advent of Christ. And so the millennial reign of Christ, will study that in detail. And we'll also, lastly, to finish off this subject, of the day of the Lord, we'll be looking at the new heavens and the new earth. So we'll be in Revelation 21 and 22 when we uh, study that particular uh, portion of this subject of the day of the Lord. So one of the major lines of prophecy, people, running throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, is the prophetic truth related to the day of the Lord. And uh, it's a critical phrase. And understanding God's revelation regarding the future of planet Earth, the city of Jerusalem, and the nation of Israel, as well as the Gentiles. So just, if you heard what I just said there, it's important because it's going to help you understand and interpret current events. And uh, the current events today are really merely just setting the stage uh, for the 70th week of Daniel. And uh, we have uh, Israel back in the land uh, for 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, they weren't. Uh, 150 years ago, they weren't. And so they were out of the land for 2,000 years. Now they're back as a nation in 1948. That's a significant thing that took place in history. And then we also have the United States of Europe is developed. Uh, they want to have uh, their, uh, their, their, their uh, united currency they, they want. Uh, they want to, uh, this, united, this final stage of the Roman Empire is actually going to be out of this United States of Europe, the European common market. So that is, as would have never been thought of until after World War II. Now we see this happening. So there's a lot of things going on. I also believe, you know, also you talk about the proliferation of UFOs that people are talking about, and our government is finally acknowledging them. Uh, of course, a lot of them are military, but a, a lot of them are not. And so I believe quite clearly that's that's uh, the kingdom of darkness, and they're getting ready for uh, war, and uh, they're getting ready down here, and because they know. Uh, 
God's going to wage war against this earth with his seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments, the Lamb of God will. And so uh, you get the wrath of God and you have the wrath of Satan. Satan's going to be thrown down to the tri- during the middle way point of the tribulation period, according to Revelation 12, to the earth during the tribulation period, right in the middle of it, which I think is actually going to prompt um, Antichrist uh, doing what he does and uh, declaring himself God in the rebuilt Jewish temple. And so, again, this day of the Lord phrase, it's critical in understanding God's revelation regarding the future planet Earth, the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, as well as the Gentiles. So we're getting really a panoramic view of this subject of the day of the Lord of how God's dealing with the Earth and dealing with the citizens of the Earth and the nations of the Earth in our day and age. And so also, uh, the writers of the New Testament, uh, they use this phrase, the day of the Lord, not very often, but when they do, at least four times, it's based on their understanding of the Old Testament prophets. So that's where we should get our understanding of it as well. And so uh, the, this phrase, the day of the Lord, was used by the prophets of Israel in the Old Testament when they were speaking of both near historical as well as future eschatological events. One of the phenomena we see of the day of the Lord prophecies is there's a near, near fulfillment, near in the contemporary view of the writer, uh, like let's say Zephaniah or Joel, and then there's a far view of these uh, fulfillment of these prophecies uh, with the, the, the events of the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Jesus Christ. So the New Testament writers, they understood this subject, the day of the Lord, and applied the phrase to both the judgment, which will terminate the tribulation period of Daniel's 70th week, as well as the judgment, which will bring the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. So there's a plan that God has for planet earth. It's a plan for you and I. And so we need to, this part of preaching the good news as, uh, is telling people about these things. Look at, I've mentioned this in passing uh, several times. Uh, many, many, and they usually they're not, they're not dispensationalists, of course. Uh, they believe that when you talk to unbelievers today, that you can't use the Bible, really, because they don't have a frame of reference that's biblical. And what they mean is 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 150 years ago, people in America and Western culture, and even Europe, of course, uh, they had an awareness of the Bible. They may not have been Christians, but they understood, they they read the Bible. And like, uh, that's the way a lot of our founding fathers of this nation were like that. I mean, uh, Franklin and uh, and Jefferson, Jefferson was a deist, of course, and he wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ, but he had a respect for the Bible. And so a lot of the, the, even though they might not be a believer in Jesus and not believe the Bible is inspired by God, they still had respect for it. Okay. Well, today in our culture, in the postmodern, actually we're past the postmodern view of America and Europe, uh, we see that uh, people don't have that that frame of reference anymore in our culture, like the Z generation. Okay. But I will tell you this, and this is how I got saved, and many other people I know got saved in Massachusetts this way: prophecy. Uh, people talking about the rapture, the tribulation period, and uh, the guy who led me to the Lord. He was one of these guys who was my big brother. I, I was the oldest of five kids, so I never had an older brother. So he, this guy was one of the guys in my neighborhood. He's like four or five years older than me, and his name was Dave. And he was a great, great musician, great guitar player, and he was a great lead player. And so I, I, I used to write some music with him, and he was kind of like my mentor on guitar. And he led me to the Lord, and he was talking prophecy all the time with me. And he talked about the tribulation period, the rapture, and I was just, wow. Why? Because it had to do with the future. And of course, if you look at any unbeliever, you know, whether they're, they, they're, they're, and I was like this before I got saved, what is the future? 
What does the future entail? That's why people get into astrology. They want to know what the future is. Well, I don't know of anybody that is a non-believer who wouldn't want to know the future, and that's why they're getting involved in tarot cards and, and all kinds of uh, you know uh, different things that uh, you know uh, astrology and whatnot because they want to know the future. You know that's why they you're seeing a proliferation now of people going to see people who contact dead spirits and all that. They want to know the future. So you, so I would beg to differ with, with a lot of scholars who I respect who think that you you, you can't use the Bible to uh, to uh, evangelize. Well, yes, you can. And you can use eschatology, prophecy, to do that. Another thing about this subject of prophecy, and uh, you know, I, I, need, I know some people who will shy away from prophecy. Like, for instance, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the people who, who, who don't think it's, uh, it's relevant to the spiritual life. Of course it's relevant to the spiritual life. And I started to bring this, I've been bringing this out, and we'll do it in this study as well, passages in First and Second Thessalonians, where the, the imminency of the rapture and the day of the Lord, they are to motivate us to live in a manner consistent with who God made us to be. So, you know, First John chapter 3, 1 through 3 talked about this too. I'm going to show you all over the New Testament where there's an application, even uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the day of the Lord in Second Peter chapter 3 uh, talks about this. In fact, wait, we might as well hold your place in Job, but look at Second Peter chapter 3. I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. The day of the Lord and the new heavens and new earth should motivate us to live the spiritual life. Look at First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter three, verse one. Second Peter three one. So I, I want I want you to see how there's a have a balanced view of Scripture. If you don't have it already, you try, yes, prophecy is very very important. Now I have to balance that because there is some people I know, and you know them too, that they when it comes to the rapture, things like that, they. Like they're obsessed with that. And there are pastors, that's all they ride, the hobby horse of eschatology and prophecy. They're not teaching the full counsel of God. They need to teach the spiritual life. They need to teach the different books of the Bible. They need to teach the different doctrines of the Christian faith. So you can't ride hobby horses. So I blame a lot of times that with pastors who emphasize prophecy to the exclusion of these other important subjects in the Word of God. So if you notice what I'm doing, I'm trying to teach you the full counsel of God whether it's prophecy or justification or inerrancy or Joel or uh, Habakkuk or Jude, whatever it is, I'm trying to teach you the whole full counsel of God so you have a balanced view. So uh, we see that you can't, so some people use the rapture or the tribulation as an excuse uh, to avoid their problems or, you know, as, but it's actually, that should help us to solve our problems, you know, knowing how we're supposed to live in light of these future events that are going to be cataclysmic. So it says in 2 Peter 3.1, Peter writes, and this is his swan song, before they, uh, they crucified him upside down, it says, uh, according to church history. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, and they started with the death and resurrection and ascension accession at the writing of the Father by Jesus Christ. We're in the last days. The last days are not like a seven-day period. It's an extended period of time. It's over 2,000 years ago now. 
the last days. So the, he says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Remember, we studied this in relation to Jude. So they, say, they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning, beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Part of the judgment of Satan's rebellion in eternity past. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to return. As some understand, slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, a change of attitude about Jesus Christ. Then he says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and it'll be a thief to the non-believer because when we're gone at the rapture, which will be sudden cataclysmic event, then uh, this will uh, then starts the then the Antichrist will make that treaty with Israel, and then right in the midway point when they're saying peace and safety, as we saw in Second Thessalonians two, three, and four on Sunday, then Antichrist will expose who he really was or is. So, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, taking everybody by surprise. The heavens will disappear. Now see, he's talking about here the new heavens and the new earth. So he's, he's jumped up there. So the day of the Lord is uh, going to be a thief in the night and when it starts, but it also entails the new heavens and the new earth that ends these day of the Lord prophecies actually, as we'll see. So the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Then look what he says. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? See what he's saying? He's talking about in relation to the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, that coming to take place, the new heavens and the new earth coming into being, how we should live. What, how, how should we live? There it is. He says it. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, in the future, what kind of people you ought, uh, kind of people you ought to be? Meaning, we should be living the spiritual life, right? Right. You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that the day will come about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. So go back to Joel chapter 1, verse 1. So the day of the Lord, people. The term the day of the Lord actually occurs many, many times in the Old Testament and four times in the New Testament. So some of the passages are Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, uh, Isaiah 13, 6, and 9. You see it in Ezekiel 13, 5, 30, verse 3, Joel 1, 15, and 2, 1, as we'll see, Joel 2, 11, and Joel 30, 2, 31, and 3, 14. It's, all seen, it's also seen, day of the Lord, that expression. It's found in Amos 5, 18, twice. And then we have it in Obadiah, Amos 5, 20 as well. Obadiah 15, we saw that in our study of Obadiah. Zephaniah 1, 7 and 14, we'll see it, uh, it's twice in that verse, verse 14. We're going to be going to that passage. That's a book we're going to do in the future, which the subject is about the day of the Lord. That book is all about the day of the Lord. And uh, both the, the near fulfillment of the day of the Lord in the, in the writer's day and age, and also uh, the uh, eschatological day of the Lord. And then we have Zechariah 14, 1, we see it. We see it in Malachi 4, 5. And then in the New Testament, we have it in Acts. 
Acts 2.20, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, which I think we're going to touch on tonight, and 2 Thessalonians 2.2, we saw this on Sunday, and we'll be back at it again in the future in this subject, and then of course 2 Peter 3.10, which we just read. So let's look at Joel chapter 1, verse 1. Joel chapter 1, verse 1, I taught this book, believe it or not, in Alabama, uh, back in 2011, I think, or 12. Uh, Von Marcher, uh, we had a, um, when he was out in Birmingham, he, him and his wife Debbie, and they had me down, I would go down, that's how I started coming down and visiting Alabama. So I was teaching in Birmingham, they, they advertised this, and I just had a, a we just published a book or something. Uh, we, we did it ourselves at the church. And uh, so all they, they got, I couldn't believe how many pastors were, they showed up at this thing in the house. So we've actually recorded, it's on our website, it's only, I did two nights of this book, I, I, two nights, I should have done three nights is what I should have done, a chapter each night. But uh, it was kind of crammed it, but it was a lot of fun to teach the book. And uh, so Joel is interesting. Uh, Joel was written in around 835 B.C. And so that's before, you know, uh, well before uh, God disciplined the northern kingdom and also the southern kingdom through Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. And so this is well before these things took place. This actually deals with a... Uh, so it's before the, the Assyrian and Babylonian invasions. And with the big nation in view here in this book is really Egypt in the contemporary setting of the writer, Joel, in 835 B.C. Now the purpose was to warn the people of the day of the Lord in their day and age. And God is going to strike them in their day and age with a locust plague. And they were, they were very, they were terrifying. And even today in many parts of the world, you still have locust plagues and they're devastating. But when you get to chapter two, uh, they go from the, he goes from the locust plague to talking about something else. Basically, the Russian invasion of Israel, which is, coincides with Acts, uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39. So it's a, quite an interesting book. And so a book we're going to do in the future here, uh, if I live long enough, and one of the things I want to do. So Joel 1.1, 1, 1, it goes, The word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. It says, Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. So this is a catastrophic locust plague. Verse 5, wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips by the locust plague. So if you're an agricultural economy like all the nations of the world and Israel was in that day, that's a devastating uh, Thing to have happen to your economy. Verse 6, a nation has invaded my land, a nation of uh, locusts, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion and fangs of a lioness. It laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. And the fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up and the oil fails. Even the, t the worship in the, in the tabernacle, remember the temple wasn't built yet there, it, that was disrupted by this locust plague. So it affected all areas of their uh, society. Verse 11, despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. 
The vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, who minister, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from, your, from the house of your God. Declare a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, remember that word hoy? Disaster. That's the word being used here. We saw in Habakkuk with the five woes of Habakkuk chapter 2. That same word, Hebrew word is here. It means disaster. For that day, alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. Imminent. It's talking about the future locust plague, which is imminent. It will come like a destruction from the Almighty. So this is what we call a, a prophecy, a day of the Lord prophecy was filled, fulfilled in the life of the writer, which Joel, in his contemporary situation. So then it says in verse 16, Has not the food been cut off before our, our very eyes and joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods, and the storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain is dried up. How the cattle moan, the herd mills about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you, and the streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. Then chapter 2, something changes now. We go to a future prophecy, day of the Lord prophecy, verse 1 of chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Trumpets, well, this is quite interesting. We'll see this in, when we do the seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments. The trumpet is very interesting in Israel. It usually, a lot of times it, it's used for different occasions, but a lot of times it's used for uh, calling the, the armies to battle, the armies of Israel to battle. What is quite interesting is that the, the trumpet of God sounds off at the rapture. And it, it's not one of those trap, uh, seven trumpets that we see in Revelation 6 to 18. It's something else. It's not related to that because this, uh, those trumpets relate to a, a, a judgment that follows it. Whereas the, 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 the trumpet of the rapture uh, calls the, re, the, the church home, the resurrection. But I will say that, this, this thing, the trumpet actually is actually going to mark, that trumpet at the rapture is going to mark the, the, uh, this, the sign that the day of the Lord has come. And uh, it, it, it's come upon the inhabitants of the earth, and the church is gone. So it says in verse 1, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. And it's, it's imminent, in other words. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. We see this in Zephaniah chapter 1, this kind of language. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. A locust plague, where is there fire, fire devouring anything? An invading army will have that. Behind them, a blaze flames. Before them in the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. 
Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountains. I like to think that maybe this may be helicopters, right? Choppers. And they said, an ancient writer trying to describe what he's seeing in a vision. They like, like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for a battle. At the sight of them, the nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. And they, like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes, the sky trembles, and the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and the mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? So that's a, that's a uh, as we'll see, if you read the rest of that chapter, it's actually speaking of the Russian invasion of Israel, and, uh, and it's an army from the north. And that corresponds to what we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We'll be going over this in the future in regards to this subject of the day of the Lord. So uh, if you look on the board with this slide here, we see that the phrase is that day, the day, the great day. Now we already talked about the day of the Lord. That, that expression. But we also have phrases in the Old Testament, that day, the day, the great day. And also they refer to the day of the Lord and they appear more than 75 times in the Old Testament. So we see that the term day of the Lord and the phrases that day or the day or the great day are used with reference to the 70th week of Daniel quite often. Uh, Isaiah 13, five, verses 5 and 6. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3. Joel 115, and 2, 1, 11, 29, and 31. Uh, uh, 38, uh, Ezekiel 38, uh, verses 10 through 19 and 39. And Obadiah 14 and 15. There's only one chapter long. Uh, Zephaniah 114, 18. And Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. 6, 8, and 9. And Malachi. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. Let's take a look at one of these. Go to uh, Zephaniah. I think we were here uh, the other day, uh, Sunday. Look at Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. I love teaching this book. This is a great, great book. And this is all about the day of the Lord, uh, both in the writer's contemporary setting and also it talks about the eschatological day of the Lord, the future day of the Lord of the tribulation period in the second advent of Christ. So Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. Zephaniah 1.1, 1, 1. the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Josiah was the last great king from the southern kingdom of Judah before the Babylonian invasion. And it says in verse 3, I will sweep away, God says, everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble. And when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host and those who bow down and swear by the Lord and also who swear by Molech. Those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. So he's talking about what we call syncretism. Uh, the people of the southern kingdom of Judah and in the days of Josiah and Zephaniah, 
Uh, they were involved in syncretism. They were, they were also, like, this is what Solomon got involved in, in the worship of not only the Lord, which you can't do, with, and also worshiping these other gods. So you can't, the Lord wouldn't accept that. So uh, this is what they were involved in, just like King Solomon was. So the day of the Lord, here in this context, is talking about what God's going to do about the apostasy. Okay? which we've been talking about with Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, how he's going to deal with the apostasy of the southern kingdom of Judah with the Babylonian Empire. So then it says in verse 7, Be silent before the Lord. We saw this on Sunday where at the end of uh, in Habakkuk 2.20. The whole earth is told to be silent. For the day of the Lord is near. That's why. It, and the word there, near, it talks about imminency, which is one of the characteristics of the day of the Lord prophecies, the eschatological ones. So then it says, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. And those he's consecrated, he invited are those armies, like the Babylonian Empire in this context, who are going to be the instrument of God's judging the southern kingdom of Judah. So then he says, on, that, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. He did this uh, in, this, in 605, 597, and 586 BC with those three Babylonian invasions. This is all fulfilled in history so far. On that day, verse 9, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, all who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. On that day, during, in other words, that day is not talking about a 24-hour period. It's talking about an extended period of time, which would be, in this context, 6, uh, 605, 597, and 586 B.C. with the three Babylonian invasions. This word, Yom, day, is a, quite a controversial word in the studies of Genesis, uh, which I believe it's a 24-hour period because the context tells you that. Morning and evening, the first day, Yom, day. Second day, third day, right? So, and he's speaking to who? He's speaking to the nation of Israel. They understood that to be a 24-hour period. He's not talking to people in the 21st century who believe in the day-age theory. Okay, that's what a lot of these day-ages are trying to do. Now, I think the earth is much older than 6,000 years ago. I think man has been on the earth a little over 6,000 years ago, 6,000 years, but I think the earth is much older because the Satan's been here before us. Much more older. Okay, so if you want to make it a billion years, I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me doesn't matter anything. Matter anything. It's, what matters is, is I, say, I hate to hear these, see these people that fight over the day-age thing in the first two chapters of Genesis. You knuckleheads. What all matters is the death and resurrection of Christ. I mean, you guys are getting all worked up over stupid stuff and they're getting big arguments. It's like, grow up. You, that drives me nuts. I can't watch it. Anyways, I'll get out of fellowship if I do. So first, I see them on Facebook and say stupid things. These people say stupid things to each other. On that day, declares the Lord, I will cry, I will a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, and a loud crash in the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. Again, day of the Lord prophecy related to the contemporary situation of the right of Zephaniah. Wail, you who live in the market district. All you merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered. By the Babylonians, it, it did take place. Their houses are demolished by the Babylonians. They will build houses and not live in them, but, and they will plant vineyards but not drink wine. Now, here's another day of the Lord prophecy. But this one, the context says, this is talking about the future one during the tribulation period in the second advent of Christ. The great day of the Lord is near, imminent, near and coming quickly. And it's much, much more imminent now in our day and age than it was in back in the 7th century B.C., don't you think? So how much more should we be paying attention to the way we live and that the Lord could come back at any moment? That's why you hear me say, keep short accounts with God. 
He could come back. Imagine if you were in the middle of some sin, okay, and he comes back right then. Whoops. I think there's a lot of people going, oops. You know, like, oops. You know, I hope I'm not one of those oops people, okay? So you, you confess your sin immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow. He could come back that night. You want to be in fellowship when he shows up. And he could show up this moment. Or oh, hey, forget about the rapture. What about if you and I drop dead? I mean, people drop dead all the time. I, I can't tell you how many people that are around my age that have died in my life over the last six, seven years. It's unbelievable. So you don't, you don't know how long you and I are going to be around on this earth. Could be tomorrow is the, that last day on earth or tonight. So how should we live? And Stephen Curtis Chapman, I used, to, I used to cover it. He did a song, The Last Day on Earth. You know, he says, pulled over to the side of the road and there was a, 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 a hearse driving by and he was praying for the people. Rex, you know that song? The great song. I love that song. I used to sing it in, in, in the, uh, the karaoke thing in, in the church. And uh, it's talking about, you know, if this is my last day on the earth, how should I live? Okay? So keep that in mind. So the great day of the Lord is near. It's imminent. Near and coming quickly. Listen. The cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the corner towers. I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed. Now, back in Zephaniah's day, was the whole world consumed? Well, you could say the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world were significantly devastated by the Babylonian invasions. But no, this is talking about a future. It's talking about the tribulation period. When the seventh seal trumpet and bold judgments be poured out by the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Revelation 6 to 18. And also the second advent will will terminate that period. So he says, in the fire of his jealousy, the Lord, the whole world will be consumed, for he will, he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Did he do that back in the 7th century and 6th century B.C.? No. Has he ever done that in history? Not yet, but he's going to do that in the future. All right. So the term, day of the Lord, and the phrases that day or the day or the great day are also used, not only in relation to the 70th week of Daniel, but the second advent of Jesus Christ. Zechariah 12, 11, 14, 4, and 6 and 8. The millennium, it's used in relation to. Ezekiel 45, 22, 48, 35, Joel 3, 18, Zephaniah 14, uh, Zechariah 14, 9, and Zephaniah 3, 11, which has a great passage. Zephaniah 3 has a great passage on the millennium, which we're going to be looking at in this study. And also, 2 Peter 3, 3, 10, we see that the day of the Lord is used, as we saw in the first uh, 10 minutes of this lesson is uh, related to the, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Now, if you notice, if you notice that there are only four passages, as I pointed out earlier to you, in the New Testament in which the day of the Lord appears Acts 2.20, as we pointed out, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, 2 Thessalonians 2.2, and first, uh, 2 Peter 3.10. So we see that, however, This phrase is often used by the writers of the Old Testament, of course. And thus Paul and uh, and Peter's understanding of the day of the Lord was based upon their understanding of the use of this phrase and its variants in the Old Testament. So let's go, uh, two more passages and we'll wrap it up tonight. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Actually, you know what? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 
We'll start off with the passage on the rapture. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Like, I'm already thinking about what, okay, what book I want to do when we're done with Habakkuk. And we're going to go back to the New Testament. So I'm thinking about we're going to go do First and Second Thessalonians back to back, like we did Second and Third John. First um, Thess- and Second Thessalonians is, is written, one of the first early, of Paul's earliest letters. I think Galatians is the only one that's earlier. So it was around 49 AD he wrote this. And this was a pretty, uh, they were all pretty new Christians, but it was amazing what he taught them. But it has a lot of things it talks about. Like the first three chapters of First Thessalonians about, uh, I mean, it, we can use it. To, we're going to use it in relation to the pastor teacher. It tells you what a pastor is supposed to be like, you know, in his heart, a pastor. So we get to see insight into that in the first three chapters of First Thessalonians. And we're going to talk about uh, sanctification, experiencing your sanctification, fellowship with God. It's in this book as well, as well as the study of the rapture, the timing of it, and also the day of the Lord. And at the end of chapter five of First Thessalonians. Uh, it talks a lot about different uh, subjects that are related to the spiritual life. And then Second Thessalonians uh, deals with uh, uh, three problems. Uh, one is the day of the Lord, because somebody said it was already taking place in Paul's day and age, and they were wrong. So Paul had to address that. He also had a problem in chapter 3 where people weren't working. So this is so funny. When I, was in, when I did this book a couple of years ago in the middle of the pandemic, you know, I'm, I'm like going, you know, uh, second, it's, you know Peter says, uh, Paul says in Second Peter, Second Timothy, excuse me, chapter 3, he goes, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, so it's like, I can see the people in our country be starving many people because they don't believe in working. I don't know what they're doing to pay their mortgage or their, their rent. It just cracks me up. They got to be doing drugs or doing something online that you're not supposed to be doing to get that kind of money. I don't know what they're doing. But uh, I don't think they, they can, the, the, the uh, what do you call it, it's holding out that long unemployment. So look at First Thessalonians 4.13. Great book. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So you should know this doctrine. He wants them to know this. Now, this is one of those questions that Timothy came back, okay, with him to give to Paul and Silvanus to address in this letter. And remember, Timothy went to see them to see if they're okay, and they were. So he, he, they had a problem about the rapture, the timing of the rapture. They were really actually concerned, what about the dead in Christ? My, my, my father, my mother, my brother, my sister that died, they're a believer, what happens to them? Did they, they, are they lost? And Paul says, no. Okay? So he says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men, the rest of humanity that's unsaved, who have no hope. And the word hope there again, El Peace, means a confident expectation of blessing. And that context would be uh, the rapture, the resurrection of the church, get a resurrection body and rewards for faithful service at the Bema seat. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we, who are still alive at the time of the rapture, who were left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, the dead in Christ. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he says, after that, and if you look, compare this with 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 50 to 58, which talks about the church getting its resurrection body at the rapture. It's, in a, it's not in a twinkling of an eye. It's in a winking of an eye. How, bleak, how fast can you blink? Well, that's how fast that the resurrection is going to take place. The dead in Christ rise first, boom, a split second later, or less than that, 
we get, we get a resurrection body. So he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of the call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise for us. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Harpazo is the word. And the we, people say, well, the rapture is not a biblical word. Well, either is Trinity. Okay? So it can't be in the Bible. Well, the Trinity is in the Bible. Uh, it's not taught explicitly in the Bible. That word Trinity is not used, but it's taught in scriptures. When you compare scripture with scripture, you can see that in the being of God, there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, if you compare scripture with scripture in the New Testament, the rapture is a doctrine that is taught by the biblical writers. And the term rapture was used by uh, people who study eschatology, like Schaefer and those guys. Uh, it's taken from the word Latin word rapio. That verb rapio is in the Latin Vulgate which is the Bible of the Catholic Church for centuries in the Christian community in the, in the Roman Empire because it's Latin, okay? Jerome's translation. It goes back to the 4th century uh, AD. So the word rapio is used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 and the Latin Vulgate to translate this verb harpazo in the Greek. So don't tell me the rapture is not even close to being a biblical concept. You're, you better you better get ready when you start to talking to me about that if you think you're going to be... Some of these people, they get out of here. Wait, you, you haven't studied this. You've got to be kidding me. And they're, and they're so cocksure that they got it. Now, you think about this. I should suggest this. So after that, we are still a liar left. We con up together with them. And that means physically, forcibly snatched out with the Lord's omniscience. His, omniscience, his omnipotence. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Okay. This is how he's going to do it. His omnipotence, his power. Boom, you're out of here. I mean, I don't know. I remember when my dad, if we were like, you know, oh, I remember, what are we, if you're having a, you're getting a fight at school, right? And the teacher comes up behind you, grabs you by the stripping, boom, you're right out, okay? That happened to me a few times, and not very often. And that's the, kind of the same thing. He gets you by the scruff of the neck, see ya, you're out of here. And then everybody will be going, where are all these people going from? And you know what they'll be saying? It's the aliens. <laughs> they probably say that. The aliens took them. They were schmucking up the waters anyways, these Christians. Look at, then it says in verse 17 again, after that, we who are still alive and are left <clears throat> will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now here's the application of knowing this. Spiritual life. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. These, this doctrine. So the rapture could come back at any time. Encourage each other. The dead in Christ, they're not lost. Encourage each other, okay? Then he says, no chapter break of the original. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. He, because he taught them this. For you know, and they were new believers. They weren't even believers a year when he taught them these things. They're, so he says, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night to those who are not expecting it the non-believers, while people are saying peace and safety during the first three and a half years of the 70th week, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And that's the seven seal trumpet and bold judgments of Revelation 6 to 18. But you brothers are not in darkness. You're not an unbeliever. So that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night of the darkness. So then... Let us see. We don't belong to the darkness, okay? The day of the Lord's coming. Uh, we're delivered from the wrath of God in the day of the Lord. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert, filled with the Spirit, and self-control, spiritual life. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, since we're believers, right? Let us be self-controlled, spiritual life. Putting on faith, love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Why? Now look what he says. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the wrath there is not wrath of the lake of fire. Because what is he talking in context? The wrath of the day of the Lord. The tribulation period, right? So when he's talking about wrath there, he's saying we're delivered from that wrath. That's where we get the pre-trib rapture of the church. The rapture happens before the tribulation period. In fact, it triggers it. So he says we're delivered from the wrath to come. And what are we, what are we appointed to receive? Salvation. Well, I thought I got my salvation and my justification. Remember, salvation, three stages. Like sanctification. We'll do this subject in the future. Positional, experiential, Perfective. In fact, you can see the three tenses of salvation in Scripture. And so we see that uh, when, we, when we're experiencing fellowship with God, we're experiencing our salvation, our deliverance, that's what salvation means, from sin and Satan's cosmic system. We're, we have that deliverance, salvation, in a pos positional sense, through our union identification with Christ, justification by faith, and we're going to get perfected, our salvation is going to be perfected, and that's what he's talking about when we get a re resurrection body at the rapture of the church. In fact, Paul talks about this future salvation in, Re in Romans chapter 13, 10 through 12. So he says, then he goes on to say, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, here's the application of those verses in the first 10 verses of the chapter, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you were doing. I can't stress this enough. We are supposed to be a team there's a lot of ways the church is looked at in scripture we are a team we, have, we need encouragement if you haven't noticed already that if you haven't noticed it already this is a lousy world to live in okay? this can be really bad, terrible place to live in fact it's a very bad place for Christians who are trying to please God everything is stacked against us we got the devil, an invisible enemy fighting against us you have the sin nature that we're battling every day we battle with sin and the spirit wars against the flesh Galatians chapter 5 we have people who have sin natures and they do stupid and say stupid things to us and hurt us and injure us or whatever we live in a world that's just absolutely anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-everything that's anything related to Christianity it's not sympathetic to Christianity and in our country and most nations of the world nobody's sympathetic to Christians whereas this is quite unusual for our country because the first 250 years of our country there was a sympathy for the Christian church there was in fact the Christian church had a big influence on this country not anymore because of the influx of people from all around the world everybody's, not everybody's a, a, a Jew a, Jew or a, a Christian or a Jew now you got uh, people who are of the Islamic faith and all, uh, Buddhists and atheists and you name it Okay, so we're outnumbered now it's not the way it used to be 60, 70, 80 years ago 100 years ago. So we're to encourage one another. Build each other up. One of the best things, you know, when you're, when you're playing, you know, when you're, you guys know we're playing sports or even the military. You guys know this. is cool. You know this. You get to help encourage each other. You're away from your families. You know, you're, you know, you're, you're away from your wives and your kids. and you, 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 you do whatever you can to encourage each other as you're trying to do your job and fight for your country. And then you, 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 need, you need to encourage each other. Okay, that's why it's difficult. I've been talking to guys over the years to leave somebody in Afghanistan or Iraq. You know, I got to go back home, and you know, and they're, and they're still sitting there. So th why? Because they're, they're, they're brothers, okay, and they do anything to help each other. Look, they cut, cut each other's back, right? That's the way we need to be. 
you know? We need to be looking out for each other. And, you know, if, you know the doctrine of privacy is very much abused. Bob and I were talking about this last night. Some people use the doctrine of privacy in the wrong way. It's like, of course you've got to care about somebody. You know, it says, you know, it says to, um, you know, I can, I can, I can uh, bear one another's burdens, it says, right? You know, and if I, you know, if you see somebody, and a lot of people are like this in this ministry already, you see somebody might be having some problem. You, you, I just seen people go and, and, you know, are you okay? You know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. You know, so uh, there's some people, you know, they don't want you to talk to them, okay? Okay, but really, a lot of people, it's, they like to know that somebody cares about them. So when impossible, do that, you know, and it's because we, we have to look out for each other. Nobody else is going to do it. You know, you know, somebody's struggling in their faith. They're struggling in their walk with God. We got to keep an eye on these people. I have to be on eye for that. The deacons have to be on eye for that. This is what we're here for, the leadership. We're overseers. We're trying to walk out for the church. So that's very important that we do this. So this is what Paul's talking about. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up with what he just taught them, just as, in fact, you are doing. So they were doing this. Quite interesting what Paul's saying there to the Thessalonians. So, a survey of the phrase, the day of the Lord. What we got here for time? We got to wrap it up. The survey of the use of the phrase, the day of the Lord, in both the Old and New Testaments reveal that it is used with reference to con- the contemporary history of the writer, as I've been trying to point out to you. Isaiah 13, 6, Joel 1, 15. We'll see this in detail with the scope of the day of the Lord next week, okay? Talk a lot about fulfilled prophecy, Day of the Lord prophecies in the past, in the Old Testament. However, we see that it is also used, this phrase, in relation to the future, such as Daniel's 70th week, as we pointed out, and the creation of the new heaven and new earth. Now, when the writer uses the phrase with regards to God's judgments, it's often accompanied by a pronouncement of blessing. What's quite interesting about the Day of the Lord prophecies, and people don't overlook it, they overlook these things. They, it, yes, judgment's a big part of the Day of the Lord prophecies the future ones, and the wells, the ones of the past. But also, there's always this blessing, the blessing for Israel in the future, national regeneration and restoration to the land, the millennial reign of Christ. That's, there's a blessing, and also there's pronouncements of judgment and a pronouncement of blessing. So there's a balanced view, okay? So God's not just hammering them, to telling them they're going to be judged and the inhabitants of the earth or Israel, whoever it is, but he's also saying, I'm, bringing, I'm going to bless ultimately this earth. See, there's a game plan that God has and he's carrying out. And eventually, one day we're going to be sitting in the millennial reign of Christ, you know, with that great feast. You think Thanksgiving was good? Wait till you get to the millennial reign. The wedding feast of the Lamb, okay? Who's the bridegroom? We are. I can't wait to that day. Should be encouraging each other with that. Should be encouraging each other with that, okay? So blessing, we get great blessings that are in store for us. God wants us to know that. This phrase, the day of the Lord, is also used of a period of time when God will judge nations. And other times, it's used with regards to God judging the nation of Israel or Jerusalem. Interestingly, often this judgment of Israel and Jerusalem is followed again by a pronouncement of the restoration of Israel to the land with the Messiah dwelling in her midst as a king. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. So, the, 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 so all the things that are going on right now, okay, with Israel, once we're gone, then she has her last seven years of discipline. Then the times of the Gentiles will end with the second advent of Christ when we come back with the Lord to end the tribulation period, okay, and imprison Satan for a thousand years, okay? 
and destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet and the tribulation armies, okay? So we're gone, boom, they have seven more years of discipline, boom, then comes the kingdom. Then comes the greatest time in all of world history. The earth will go back to where it was in the Garden of Eden before the fall. The curse will be lifted. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 that the sons, the, the creation groans. He personifies creation. The creation groans, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. That's us. Revealed in what? Resurrection bodies. Remember the second advent of Christ? We laid up the planet. We saw this on Sunday. We're in our resurrection bodies, rewards of faithful service. You got the elect angels, you got the tribulational martyrs, Old Testament saints in resurrection bodies, rewarded. We call light the planet up with the Lord Jesus Christ leading the way. And we orbit the earth, and here we are. Triumphal procession. The victors have come. We're taking over. Isn't that going to be something? Think about that tonight when you lay down your head on the pillow and you're going through stuff. You say, hey. I'm a victor. I'm, we're more than conquerors. No matter how bad it gets on this earth, nothing compares with that momentary light affliction that's going to produce in us an eternal way to glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right? Now, the following is a list of characteristics of the day of the Lord. One, imminency. Isaiah 13, 6. Ezekiel 30, verse 3. Joel 1, 15, 2, 1, as we saw. Obadiah 15 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, as we saw and the, the, uh, the passage a little while ago. So just imminency, okay? Now, there's a, imminency means it could happen at any time. There's another word, imminent, which talks about, like with God, that means he's involved in our, the affairs of mankind. He's transcendent and he's imminent, okay? The difference between the two words is an A and the other one, this has an I, imminency. Number two, another characteristic, of course, the, the common one we know all about, judgment. If you, don't know, if you know anything about the Bible and, ju- and the prophecy, you could say, yeah, the day of the Lord is associated with judgment. Got that. No problem. We all have that one. Number three, it's also terror. We saw that in Zephaniah and Joel. And then we also, number four, repentance is very important. The reason why God is going to pour out the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of the Lamb during the tribulation period with the seven seal trumpet and bull judgments, the reason why his intention for doing that okay, is not to just judge sinners, but to cause sinners unregenerate humanity to change their attitude about him and believe in him so that he can save him, save them from his wrath in the lake of fire, which is much worse than what they're going to endure with him during the tribulation period. So he wants them to repent. He wants Israel to repent, and they will when he comes back in the second advent. There'll be a national repentance. It's the day of atonement fulfilled that day. Zechariah talks about that at 14. Okay? So that day is coming for Israel. It ain't here yet. Okay, those people over there are dry bones. Okay, and by the way, more Jews are going to be flocking to Israel. They're doing it all the time. So, the dry bones passage of Ezekiel 37, they haven't got the breath of God in there, the breath of life, eternal life in them yet. That will happen at the national repentance of Israel, the Day of Atonement, when you have a national regeneration of the nation of Israel, which is in direct contrast to the first advent when the majority rejected him. And then lastly, number five, restoration. So there's not all negative here, the day of the Lord prophecies. So a very, very uh, balanced view of the day of the Lord we need to have. So restoration. So we go back and look at each one of these. The characteristics, the first characteristic, characteristic is imminency. Number two, judgment. Number three, 
terror. Number four, repentance. And then lastly, number five, restoration. Now, as we close, there are certain features with regards to all of these Day of the Lord prophecies. First of all, there's God's judgment of sin and his sovereignty over the nations, including Israel. This is something we need to know. And I've been, we see this in our study of Obadiah and uh, the book we're doing now, Habakkuk and Haggai. God's sovereign. The God that we're in union with, that we sit at the right hand of the Father, and the Father's making it, his, causing his enemies to be a footstool for his son's feet. Okay, that's what's going on in history right now. You're right there. You're in a, in a sovereign position. You're in union with Christ. And when we do our individual prayer and the corporate prayer, we're, ta- we're, exe- we're ex- exercising the sovereignty that God gave us because of our union identification with Christ. And when we pray according to the Father's will, God moves through the prayers of his saints. He does. Think about that. That's pretty cool. So, first feature with regards to these day of the Lord prophecies is there's God's judgment of sin and his sovereignty over the nations, including Israel. Number two, there's also the concept of, as we said before, of imminency in regards to these prophecies having a near eschatological fulfillment in the, day, in the life, in the life of the, the writer, the contemporary setting, as well as those having a far eschatological fulfillment. So you see this in prophecy quite a bit, and you see the near fulfillment in the day of the writer, but also you see a far fulfillment of some of these prophecies. Okay? We'll bring, we'll bring that out when we study it in detail. And then lastly, there was also the idea of God's blessing on the nations in Israel and her future restoration under her Messiah and King. People think, God, oh, he doesn't care about the nations. you kidding me? Does he care about people? People compose nations, right? So, yeah, he, has, he, wants to bless the, he wants to bless this planet. But you know what? Because we're enslaved by sin and Satan, the cosmic system, the only way to, to be delivered from that enslavement is through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's calling out people from all languages and ethnicities and nations on this earth, like you and I, to have a relationship and a fellowship with him and enjoy the blessings of the millennial reign and the new heavens and the new earth. So... There was the idea of God's blessing with regards to these Day of the Lord prophecies, the blessing on the nations, Israel, and her future restoration under her Messiah and King, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word and begin this subject of the Day of the Lord. We pray that it will be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so sing us a song and get us out of here.
every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you ready now for the judgment? Is he your Savior or is he your judge? Dismissed.